Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear Doc, God, of course, I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes! 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 Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. Right, folks. The red button has been pushed. It's the afternoon. The microphones are on. The studio is armed. It's a little bit chilly in here, if I'm honest. But um, we're here for you for the afternoon. Thank you so much to all the uh, the producers of shows in the morning. Uh, talking to you, Tim Thorpe, you little beauty, Bron, and the fabulous scientists, and the doctors too. My God, it's just been a great morning. But it's now the afternoon. The sun is over the yard arm. If you want a Bloody Mary, go on. Get yourself a Bloody Mary. It's okay, I think. Um, joining me um, with her P-plates on, or L-plates on, um, looking at the desk and uh, getting things organised, we introduce to you Fiona Brooke. Hello, hello, good morning, afternoon. And it's 12 noon and it that is, is the uh, champagne time. It is, well, oh, even better than a Bloody Mary, um, so long as we're not putting Guinness with it, because I've always thought a, a black velvet is just a disgusting thing. Haven't experienced it yet, probably never will. No, don't. Don't. And um, silent producer who wants to remain silent, although, yes, he can push the button. I Carl talk. Chapman. G'day, mate. G'day, guys. How you doing? Not bad, thank you. It's the way um, cold morning, midwinter. <sighs> although, there's something to be said about it, I, which I love. 
Well, I just came from the country where it was drizzly, drizzly, and the mandarin tree was groaning. Mm. So I have brought some mandarins in uh, fresh from my folks' tree and the orange tree there also growing and groaning and the lemon tree. So crazy amount of delicious fruit. And they look so authentic when you leave a leaf on them. Well, that's the whole thing. Aren't you supposed to leave the leaf on the lemon to keep it sweet? I've never heard that, but it yeah. Sounds so when good. you pick the lemon, yeah. you should you should leave uh, at least a stump of the the. Just don't crack it off completely because yeah, apparently the, the, the sweetness goes down into the lemon. In fact, I probably learnt that listening to eat it one day. Really? Yep, I'm sure that I heard somebody say that. Wow. Okay. Well, this is good to be reminded of these things. So there it is, folks. You've uh, you heard it first. Um, well, maybe not. First, but uh, not for a long time anyway. Thank you for that, Fiona. Uh, interesting show today, um, we're hoping. Uh, we're going to be speaking to the Lord Mayor very, very shortly. Sally Cap is going to call us in about three or four minutes, which will be kind of good. Be excellent. Uh, and then we're going to go to Beechworth. Um, we're going to return to the country. And we're going to have a chat to the owner of Beechworth Honey. Her name is Jodie Goldsworth, uh, Goldsworthy, sorry, and talk a little bit about all things sweet and syrupy and sticky, and of course the bees and what we can do to make their lives better and uh, make more honey for ourselves. You a honey fan? Um, not not a regular honey consumer. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm actually become quite obsessed with maple syrup. Have you? Yes. Massive maple syrup fan. I could eat it on everything. I've been known to have sips of the maple syrup bottle from the fridge. No kidding. Well, I just had yeah. a lovely maple syrup and a walnut muffin from Milkwood across the street. Really? Delicious. And it was good? Yep. It was good. No, I love a bit of maple syrup, but we're going to be talking about the joys of um, the bees and uh, the making of the honey and um, the fact that I think she wants to tell us about how she's planting a whole bunch of trees. And um, I was reminded of a movie called Bliss and the love letter that took eight years to be delivered. I do recall that film. Yeah, it's a lovely moment, wasn't it? It was an extraordinary film, yes. Yes. An extraordinary piece of Australian film history. Yeah, because it's a pretty old one now. It's it, what, 86 it, or 85 yeah, or something like definitely. that. Definitely. And I remember before that we had drones, there was that incredible shot of um, Barry Otto, I think, in the, the backyard after he'd had his first heart attack and there was this pan out. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that uh, scene. He was, he was like lying in his backyard and then it just panned up and up and up and up. It was an amazing shot. They must have had a very big crane to do it. DOP but, was earning their money that day. <laughs> It's amazing they had the budget for it. Yeah. Hey, we got budget. Um, and then we're going to have a chat to uh, the fabulous Duncan Buchanan. Uh, but, Carl, have a look at the phones because we're just about to turn over to 12.07 uh, while we wait for the Lord Mayor to give us a call. You know, there's something about a singular pleasure. We look at a mandarin with um, its little leaf there. It's a beautiful orange and and the green makes it look beautiful. But one of my favourite little singular pleasures uh, is a chocolate souffle, but I haven't been able to make one of those for a while. But I did make a creme caramel. Is anybody... Who, you guys fans of the creme caramel? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. There's something so beautiful and soothing and it's like a big hug. 
Well, it's so lovely the way it slips down the throat. Yes, and, and also one of the things I love about um, creme caramels is once you've made it and you put it in the fridge and it all sets and then it's that moment when you turn it onto the plate and you lift the thing and then the sauce goes... That's even before you've eaten it. That's onomatopoetic. It sure is. <laughs> but, yeah, no, creme caramel is uh, just a joy, even though I spent many... Weeks, it seems, years and years ago, trying to perfect an orange creme caramel, but I never could because I was too dumb to know that acid denatures the milk and it would always sort of turn into this cheese. I would never have thought of that myself. Maybe someone can tell us how to do it. Maybe you need a less acidic fruit. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, maybe maybe we do. Uh, As I said, we are waiting on Sally Cap. What we might do is, I think we've uh, we've got a phone number for her, so we might do that and see if we can get Carl to get her on the line. The other thing I wanted to say that uh, um, I was very very fortunate to be given two huge bottles of gin for my birthday, which was rather sensational. Um, And they were 60% proof, and I finally had the courage to make a martini from them. Um, And I've worked out that if you do 50-50 with Bianco and uh, the gin, it makes a very, very beautiful, beautiful martini. But I think we have Sally Cap on the phone. You can hear Carl engaging. This is great radio production as we hear it. 12.09 12.09 here on 3 Triple RFM. It's midwinter. It's a bit of a cold day. I can hear a bit of a crackle. Does that mean, Sally, you're not standing in the rain, are you? <laughs> no rain where I am at the moment. Hooray! Sam. Sally, how Yay. you been? We haven't spoken for... Oh, it's been a few months, actually, hasn't it? Has it been that long? What a shame, because you and I share so much in common in our love of food. Oh, we... Certainly do, certainly do, and uh, and uh, getting out and eating and enjoying and also being able to revel in what makes this incredible city tick. In, indeed. In fact, I've just come in from queuing as part of the enthusiastic crowd at the Donut Festival at Queen Victoria Market. It's heaving. The Donut Festival? And it's every Festival. donut that you can think of, every donut from Spanish churros Gluten-free donuts, oh. uh, the classic hot jam donuts, yes. donuts with icing, donuts injected with chocolate sauce, uh, all the way through to fried ice cream. Somehow made it into the the festival. Yeah, uh, but how it's do all they get in? So a TVM. <laughs> what What are you doing here? Fried ice cream? That seems kind of weird. That sounds like a bit of an imposter to me. Well, that sounds like it's fun because usually the American donut van. Uh, which has been there since, I don't know, apparently the 50s. And do you know what, Uh. Sally? It actually, there are two of those, and back in the day, they actually used to drive around. Well, they're both at Queen Victoria Market, and they've got long queues. But you know how quickly they serve those piping hot sugar-coated jam. Oh, they're so good. Just the smell of them. Yeah, well, it's, um, I sound like Homer Simpson. Well, no, it's just, it, in, in a way, it's it's <laughs> it, it's the smell of the market, and it's also in in that way, it's also a smell of nostalgia as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. There's a lot of comfort. And that's a very powerful thing. Um, Let's start with um, Melbourne money. Shall we start with Melbourne money just to have a bit of a chat as to uh, what Melbourne City Council is doing uh, to encourage and protect and, um, and, and just keep Melbourne a viable place? Mm. Well, thank you, Cam. Melbourne Money is where the City of Melbourne and the Victorian Government, we're shouting 20% of your dining bill in the City of Melbourne. Every small cafe through to fancy restaurant, uh, all the pubs, uh, all the venues where you can buy food, uh, 20% of your bill is on us. It's been a resounding success. We've had more than 128,000 people now make claims. They've spent uh, just over $20 million and we've done refunds of about $4 million and we've still got another sort of half of that funding to go, Cam. Who who gave you the money? Well, it's a joint venture between the City of Melbourne and the State Government. It's part of our Melbourne City Revitalisation Fund. Yes. uh, $200 million that we've dedicated between the two levels of government to bringing back the buzz by attracting people into the city. Oh, that's great. So, uh, so state government money and Melbourne City Council money is uh, is it. funding that. And how do how do you get your money reimbursed? What do you have to do? You have to. I, I imagine you have to have a, a docket as proof of purchase. Exactly. So, Cam, we looked at so many different schemes that have been used around Australia and overseas for reimbursement and voucher-type systems. And what was really the top principle for us was what would be the least burden to our hospitality business owners, because they're already doing it tough. So to get them to sign up or to have to register for something or to have to do any of the admin involved was something that we just felt was not acceptable. Well done. So we really hunted and we have found a great system where basically the business owners don't have to do anything except promote it to encourage people to come. Mm. And uh, when you dine, grab your tax invoice because you need to have the ABN. That is the the key, if you like, to uh, uh-huh. placing the business in the city of Melbourne. Yes. You go on to uh, money.melbourne.vic.gov.au and you upload the details together with your bank account details and you get your 20% back within five days. And at the moment, they're averaging about 48 hours for wow. your refund. And I should say, look, it's a maximum of a $100 refund that you can get, but mm. um, people have really been making the most of it and it's been fantastic. Oh, that's great. And how long is that going to be? Well, until the money runs out, I guess. Until the money runs out. So it started yeah. on 11 June and it took about eight days for the first million dollars to be claimed. We've got eight million to spend. Two million, we hit the two million mark about four days after that and it's been accelerating since then. Uh, and we're really pleased with the way that people are embracing this offer and coming in to support our local business owners. This is a really, really great initiative and I, I love the fact that it is so practical and, uh, as I'm paraphrasing, less onerous on the actual businesses themselves who are working their mm. asses off just trying to keep the balls up in the air. The other thing exactly. that um, Melbourne City Council and other councils around Melbourne have done is freeing up parking spaces for people to dine outside because of 
the reality of this airborne virus that we have. And the question is, for how much longer um, do you see that the parking bays um, are going to be used in this aspect? Well, we've just agreed, Cam, uh, in our budget going forward that the outdoor dining parklets will stay. Oh, yes. Which is very exciting. The only thing that is changing is that hospitality businesses will need to start paying for the space, which uh, all our business owners have said, fair enough, because not everybody can get a parklet and it is extra space. Uh, But because times are still tough, uh, those charges don't start until November. Uh, They were going to start in July, but given lockdown four has made it particularly tough, we've pushed them back and we're only starting at 25% of normal fees and then next year it'll be 50%. So a really, really gradual uh, rising of the fees to to normal. Mm -hmm. And that really recognises that it's still tough times, but the outdoor dining permits and parklets have been fantastic for everyone. They have. Um, Fiona has a question. Uh, we, uh, we've got Fiona Brook here, who I, um, I'm oh, sure you know. Hi, Sally. Ah. One of my favourite people. <laughs> Fiona. Well, and yeah. a great Lovely to, love to as chat well. again. <laughs> I had a question about did you have any indication about what the other inner city councils are also looking at from the extension of the of the parking, because I know that you uh, can only really speak to what's happening in the City of Melbourne, but do you have a sense of what the rest of the local councils are going to be doing in that regard? Yes, so they're all considering uh, this at the moment, Fiona. We had a meeting last week where we were discussing economic development and actually how important the outdoor dining parklets have been. Mm. Everybody's looking at what capacity they have and also trying to understand with their local business owners what capacity they have also to pay. Uh, it's um, we, we came to our uh, sort of way forward after much consultation with our local business owners and so other councils are doing the same thing but basically a recognition that those parklets have been brilliant and where it's practical for them to stay in place and where business owners are able to start are paying, then they will stay. Gotcha. And what about, um, there was a notion that actually, I've got to say, Fiona was actually bringing up, was um, about some of the, um, how do we put this delicately, the aesthetics of, uh, of some of these parklets. Uh, some are done more successfully than others. Is that a kind way to put it, Fiona? Well, I mean, in the city of <laughs> Melbourne, the parklets are very attractive, but in some other city uh, councils, some of the parklets are... Dogs' breakfasts. Dogs' breakfasts, yes. and and I have I think that the parklets are a Some. great idea, but it would be really nice if perhaps they were maintained uh, a little better. Well noted, um, and thank you. Uh, you get off scot free uh, though. I think is it well, was the inference no, there. I think well. I was just going to say, um, when the rollouts were being done at the outdoor dining, we started in the city of Melbourne, and I I reckon we hired just about every outdoor market umbrella that was available in Victoria. Or Australia, Um, yes. Yeah, the the programs then across the other municipalities, again, rolled out very quickly, and we were hiring all of the local government's parts that we could find, whether it was the barricades or the tables, chairs, etc. And uh, as we go forward, the business owners themselves, if they want to continue with their parklets, they can actually make some decisions about what they'd like to put there. Mm. And I think that'll start to then reflect. I mean, 
still to a standard, but also start to reflect some of the different personalities uh, at our dining spots around town. Got you. Um, Sally, um, uh, I was uh, having a chat with Jem, your PA, and one of the things that she brought up, which I thought was kind of interesting, uh, was this notion of the green line, uh, mm-hmm. inspired a little bit by the uh, the L train of... Uh, it was, that's Brooklyn, isn't it? High line. High yeah, line. the high line in New York. Boom. Yeah. And, yeah. and what that, that was was basically using, um, a, a, well, the old elevated rail and, and building upon that and making that a tourist attraction and also a green space for growing things. How yeah. does that apply to Melbourne? Well, it very much High Line is about regenerating neglected places, and in that case, they started with the yeah they started with the elevated rail lines. It's one of mm. the first places I go to when I visit New York. It's just so special, and of course, I can't wait to be able to do that again sometime soon. Uh, yeah. And now there is a network of effectively High Line parks around America. And we'll be the first one joining from Australia. And all of the projects are about that sense of regeneration into green open space and places that can be activated for community use. And also, of course, in the case of Highline, it's become the number one tourist attraction in New York. So for us, uh, originally we were looking at those elevated railway lines in uh, the CBD, but of course they've still got trains running on them, Cam. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> you have to be pretty have... nimble doing your planting, yes. <laughs> you would. <laughs> you yes. would. Uh, so we have uh, diverted a little bit, but still with the same intent, and that is to regenerate the northern bank of the Yarra. It's a much neglected space. Yeah. It's little used, and it is uh, does have... It's like spaghetti junction traffic uh, at various parts along that north bank, which are really hard to navigate for pedestrians, and it makes it hard to really enjoy uh, the spaces along the north bank. So Mm -hmm. we are regenerating with Green Line. It's Birrarungma to the Balti, and it's a series of open spaces. It's four kilometres, so a series of open spaces and new connections, which will be pedestrian bridges and underpasses, Think floating promenades, think new wetlands to walk in amongst and uh, also doing some special things with assets like Banana Alley to bring more hospitality and, and you know, social engagement. Yeah, to those areas around Enterprise Park and stuff. That sounds great. Well, that's something good that we can look forward to. Uh, mm. In the meantime, any advice or anything you want to say to the, uh, the people of Melbourne? Well, to all the foodies out there, we've got so many of our favourite haunts uh, that have managed to sustain themselves by being completely ingenious uh, during the last 18 months. They're really deserving of support. And I think of Shane Dallaire at Maha and everything he's done with Provador. I think of uh, Andrew McConnell, who's continued to open amazing places like Gimlet. And, of course, we've got uh, Vicky Wilde and Martin Benn and Chris Lucas, who've been working so hard uh, to open society uh, shortly. And uh, all of these people, and they're really the cream of the crop, and and so many more have uh, been wonderful in making sure that those foundations of Melbourne as a food capital remain Uh, and uh, so we're just encouraging everybody to come in show their support but let's face it 
it's uh, it's a wonderful sacrifice to make to come in and enjoy a wonderful meal here in Melbourne. Yeah, especially with twenty percent back. Come on, it's good. Sally, exactly, Melbourne money. Thank you for having a chat with us. We look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon. Enjoy the rest Cam of your and Sunday. Fiona. Thank you. Your champ. Thanks for championing this industry. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Bye. Happy it's Sunday. easy. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Sally Cab, 12.23 here. Ooh, 12.24. Time just flies. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Jody Goldsworthy from uh, Beechworth Honey quite shortly after we do a few little bits and pieces. Triple R. Time marches on. It really, really does, and um, and the person I want to speak to is probably very, very busy and wants to get out in the bush and start planting more gum trees so more honey can happen. It is a delight to return to Jody Goldsworthy from Beechworth Honey. Thank you for joining us again. It's been a while since we've had a chat. How are you doing? Hello, Cam. Hello, everybody in Melbourne. We are doing... Well, up here in Beechworth, we are so grateful for the beautiful bush that surrounds us and for the area that we live in. But, no, we're, we're doing fine. Thank you said you. You were, we were talking earlier this morning and you were saying everything is drenched in fog. It is, yeah. It's, it's a really foggy, foggy day here in Beechworth today. Um, damp and misty and beautiful... Typical winter winter weather. I love it, and fantastic for um, tree planting. And and so quiet too, because because um, that's the thing about mist. Because mist requires no wind, so it True. must it must be beautiful walking in in the bush. Um, for those that have never um, that are you know born under a rock type thing, uh, Beechworth Honey. Um, how many generations is the company now? Well, we, I'm a fourth-generation beekeeper, and our yep. kids are the fifth generation. Wow. So they're running bees and hives um, themselves as well, Ken. So since the 1880s, my great-grandfather didn't find any gold in, uh, in Beechworth, <laughs> any solid gold, and he turned to producing liquid liquid gold instead. And the, the wonderful thing, I love this idea of this dynastic family, but... Stewards of the land, uh, looking after the land and passing it on, which I think is a is a is a is a wonderful thing. And one of the things that you've been doing up there uh, at Beechworth Honey is you've been planting a lot of trees. And actually, what do we call them? Bee cause plantings is what you call. Yeah, them. yeah, we we have can. So obviously, it's really really important. I mean, you can't you have to be living under a rock if you're not concerned about our environment and you know everything that's happening around us and and I guess we just really wanted to do what we could to um, you know to just plant plant trees for bees and whilst there's a lot of trees that are planted and a lot of plants that are planted around the country mm. I guess the the aspect that we've focused on is really a, a quite a, um, a probably a scientific approach um, a considered approach to our planting so that instead of just planting trees uh, without you know too much thought within our bee ar- arboretum what we've tried to do whoa, 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 seven whoa, whoa. hectare what, what did you say bee arboretum bee arboretum so what's, we've what's dedicated that? well we de- dedicated seven hectares of land uh, on the Melbourne side of Beechworth to planting uh, trees arboretum. and so an arboretum is a collection of trees gotcha. but what we wanted this arboretum to be all about was a collection of trees for bees and other pollinators. 
And so what it's really about is planning those plantings to try and make sure that every every month of the year, mm. every day of the year, there are at least three or four things that will be flowering so that bees and other pollinators have food. So what ah. we don't think about is, you know, our environment is like the supermarket yes. for for the bees and for the other pollinators. And if you look outside often and you put your bee eyes on, Mm. um, there's a fair amount of empty shelves for our bees because often there's not very much flowering. And so this is really designed, I guess, to raise awareness, like we're doing now, Mm. of the fact that in our environment we, we need things to be flowering you know throughout the season um, obviously through the winter season there's there's periods of dormancy and things like that but there's still other little insects and when our climate is warming there's yeah. days where the bees get more active than they used to and they pop outside um, when it's over 14 degrees and it's nice and sunny and they look around and there's really nothing for yeah. them to eat so, hey what's to eat where are the flowers mm, what's going exactly. on exactly so, um, yeah, so, so, so which uh, which months are usually there? There is the dearth of um, where are the supermarket shelves um, empty? To to <laughs> empty use your analogy, yeah. Well, look, look, it can be it can be any time, and that's why um, beekeeping is migratory. Traditionally, that's why we need to pick up our hives and move them to yeah. areas where, and that's why often, sadly. Um, you know, people who are new at um, recreational beekeeping yes. can find that they, you know, their bees starve because they didn't realise there wasn't actually enough food um, sort of out in the surrounding five-kilometre area for them. It would be just... a bad day when you go, honey, I've killed yeah. all the bees. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just a matter of actually looking. And bees also, they need both pollen and nectar. Yes. Um, and they don't always get those from the same plants. So their pollen uh, pollen is their protein source. It's like the, the meat shelf and the um, carbohydrate source is from the is from the nectar of the plants. And so, you know, things like wattles are really important um, for pollen in the spring that allows bees need a big supply of pollen in the spring to actually breed. Um, yes. They won't breed if there's not pollen. And so, again, the, the planting is all about just planning um, this this space to look at, you know, getting people to think about when they are planting their garden or when they're planting trees on their farm or whatever, to think about just having um, varieties that are flowering at different times. Also, what we've done in the Bee Arboretum is we've, we've brought in... Um, Normally when you plant on farms, you plant sort of locally indigenous species. That's been, you know, I guess a a principle for many, many years. But my thinking around this is that as our climate changes, we need to start experimenting with, um, with what, with what trees might have grown in other areas where the climate might Our climate here in Beechworth might be more like a climate around central Victoria, for example. So, so Jodie, if I can, sorry to cut across you, you, you were almost like um, a lot of the winemakers have had to make these decisions that they have to say, well, we're going to have to think about new varieties because of the realities of the changing climate. That's right. And, and I think, you know, eucalypts are highly susceptible to a, uh, a climbing climate uh, changing climate and and it you know this little seven hectare plot you know maybe what we do today will be used by some scientist in you know 20 or 50 or 
80 years time to look at you know what's actually um, what's actually growing and what's thriving and what didn't survive so mm. it's a bit of a you know science experiment and and an opportunity which which is really nice because it links into our schools education program um, that we run here in Beechworth and that we've had to transform significantly um, you know, on the or going Over through the COVID, I won't say post oh, COVID, COVID. Yeah. still, yeah. So you know that that's great for for us to be able to sort of host so many school groups here in Beechworth and which, at our B school, which I reckon is just great. Um, and that's one of the things that's so great about um, Beechworth is. First of all, it's a shame that the uh, the showroom at Royal Arcade had to go, but it's great that you still have this great showroom of honey and varietals there at Beechworth. Jody, what have you been planting, and what are there any that you sort of, uh, from a gut level or from um, from your mind, that you sort of have great scope and hope for? Look, just a range of um, of eucalypts, but again, we've actually selected them on their on their ability to produce both pollen and nectar, and their flowering mm. cycles. Yes. Lots of wattles, um, lots of you know grevilleas and um, things. Our native our native plants. Um, you know, there's there's about um, thirty different things that we've actually um, included in the in the collection, and it's just a, a plant and wait and see. And um, but, you know, again, I hope this site will be really useful. Um, I work as a long term project. A long term project, yeah. but I'm also involved with the Wean Bee Foundation, and that foundation was we've established um, and launched on World Bee Day in May, um, bee-friendly farming here in Australia. And so um, that's, a, you know, something that encourages farmers to actually plant um, trees, but it also works with farmers to look at um, some of the risks to our pollinators like pesticides and things like that and looks at how um, they can make other choices to um, to prevent, you know, creating a hostile environment for, for our bees. You know, um, we had a chat about a movie which um, which you said, look, I, I haven't seen that, but I was explaining to you this beautiful, beautiful thing from Peter Carey. And Peter Carey wrote a book called Bliss and there was a film that was done um, from Bliss and one of the lovely things, which I think is just one of the great things in Australian literature, was the hero, Harry, who was played by Barry Otto, he fell in love with a, with a woman, a bit of a hippie, Honey Barbara played by Helen Jones, and she didn't want anything to do with him, and he embarked on a long-term project. To, he wanted to win her back, and 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 in the bush that was surrounding this woman, he planted all these, all these gum trees, and it took eight years for this woman to realise that he'd planted all these trees, and, and it was, as I said, it was a love letter uh, that took eight years to be delivered, and in a way... I'd have to say, Jody, you're doing the the same thing in a strange way. Well, I'd love to see the sequel, and maybe it would involve um, you know, the beekeeper going back and producing all this beautiful varietal honey. Mm. Mm. Um, I know this is like asking about your favourite children, but one of the things that I've loved in getting to know Beechworth honey and the incredible range of varietals that uh, you have, have you got a favourite? honey that you can tell us about what's the what's the favorite expression of nectar 
that comes filtered through the bees for you? Yeah, look, I mean, I, when I taste honey, I just, I taste flowers and I find mm. it so interesting that you can, you can just, you know, get the, the scents and the aromas. And one that I'm loving at the moment is actually um, something called scented ash and um it's uh, it's an incredibly perfumed. That's honey. violets, isn't it? It's it's tastes and it smells like a flower shop, and yes. I love being in our um, you know on our tasting counter in Beechworth with and and little kids, and you say mm-hmm. to them, you know, smell this. What does it smell like? And they say, it smells like flowers and mm-hmm. um, a, a flower shop. You say, and they say, yes, yes, and then. Then you know, mum and dad are there, and you're you're um, able to talk about the hyacinths and the violets, and and it's you know it's so amazing because I've never eaten a violet or a hyacinth, but I can actually taste them when I when I um, taste scented ash, which you know just goes to show the the senses at work, you know the the fine interaction of your aroma and your you know and its influence on the on the flavour. So that's one that I'm really loving at the moment. I had a little bit of orange blossom this morning um, when I woke up. That's another another favourite of um, of mine. And then look, any of the um, you know eucalypts, yellow box is is an all time favourite and just something that I reach for all the time. I'll be um, cooking some usually slice this afternoon for um, for our little um, band of tree planters. I've got. <laughs> Um, daughters yeah. who are on university holidays, and they get to come and help mum with um, with tree planting. As do some of um, some of our junior staff who have volunteered. They're, they're not they're, they're being paid, but they've actually volunteered not to work in the in the education centre, but to come tree planting. So we've got a little um, group of of us that will be out in the paddocks for the next few days of um, of the school holidays. And so, you know, it's always a bit of fun to do a little bit of. Um, bit of cooking and take that and um, uh, when someone gets you know needs a moment to just sit under one of the bigger gum trees that's there in the paddock as well and just um, uh, rest up a little there's something to to eat so it's it's good fun and contemplate life in the middle of uh, of winter in the beautiful calm that is uh, these months of winter that we have it's one of the the things that I really, really love about that. And I've got to say, um, one of my favourites is um, Messmate Honey. That's a eucalypt too, yeah? That's right, yeah, and, yeah. And so it, it's a cousin of the of the stringy bark, so it belongs yes. to the stringy bark family and, it, it, yeah... And it's and it tastes and smells of hazelnuts. It's um it's just extraordinary how there's so it's many right. different things in this family. Uh, mm-hmm. Jody, uh, if people want to find out more, that no doubt they could go to Beechworth Honey website that has um, absolutely yeah things to yeah. learn about that. Lots lots of you know we have all our varietal honeys actually described. So you know it's not it's not a, it's not guesswork. There's a lot of information there that you know you can sort of work out what flavours you like and um, and some of the uses and things. So it's really a, um, a pretty delightful discovery of, um, of, of honey. And we send packages all around Australia, particularly, you know, at the moment where people are less able to travel. And, you know, I know it's, um, it's a great way for people to sort of remember a visit to um, to the country or a, a trip out into the um, into bush um, is, you know, with a jar of honey. Well, um could you please uh, keep us informed about what's happening with the well, now this new word arborarium? Is that right? Uh, 
Arboretum. 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 Yes. Arboretum. It's a pretty cool word, isn't it? Sure is. You absolutely will. And, and look, anyone who is driving to Beechworth, um, the Arboretum is, um, is very visible from, um, it's, it's about three or four kilometres um, on the Melbourne side of Beechworth. And, and anyone who knows that road well, when you drive out of Beechworth and head back to Melbourne, there's this stunning view down to the um well really down to Glen Rowan and, and back towards Melbourne and and you'll see all the little trees all planted and last year's that we planted are sort of now some of them are up to chest height which is pretty hey, incredible in, oh, in the good. year. So yeah. yeah, so you can stop up the top of the road and, and have a little look at what we've been doing. It's very, very very um, visible. Jody, thank you for the honey, thank you for the vision and also for your stewardship. I think that's one thing that's got to be recognised and applauded in this day and age. Been really, really lovely to chat with you. Look forward to chatting with you in the not too distant future. Fantastic, Cam. And enjoy that, enjoy that honey. Thank you. Will do. Jody Goldsworthy from Beechworth Honey in situ. Um, Gee, she sounds like she's doing some very, very good things. Duncan Buchanan is awaiting. He's uh, has his pearls of wisdom ready to go, and uh, we'll be getting to him after this. So now it's time for Duncan Buchanan's wonderful world of wine. Yeah, feel it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Duncan. On the blower. Mm. Yeah, we should probably fade that out, otherwise I'll get too excited and people will start looking at me going, he's really... Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Duncan. Duncan, a very, very good afternoon. Speak to me. That's good. I'm not going to look at you, Cam, because there's a bit of a... I'm going to... Really? Why? Uh, I'm not going to look at you because there's one hell of a delay. Oh, Really? Okay, that that gets spooky. Yeah. We we don't like that. Yeah, that uh, that gets kind of kind of weird. Duncan, first of uh, all, I'll look away too. There we go. I'm not looking at you either. Um, how are you? <laughs> He's turned his back on me. Okay, is, is that happening in real time now? Are you hearing me now? I hope so. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we have technical difficulties that are happening. Uh, I'll just good. I'll do a little time check while we get ourselves oh, organised. No. It is twelve forty five. Do have difficulties? Should we go back to the telephone? Yeah, maybe, maybe we should. If it's um, if it's because um, I know how it discombobulates you, Carl. Do you mind getting uh, Duncan on the yeah, blower? We can do that. Otherwise, I was going to say if he wants to exit the Zoom and come back in, it might just reset, or we can go straight to the phone. Oh, I think maybe we'll go, go to, the to the phone. All right, we'll go straight to the phone. I reckon. Have you got his phone number? Did I give it to you? Uh, you are listening to I'll try that three triple R F M. Uh, Duncan, we're going to get you on the phone very, very shortly. Um, <clears throat> we're here to talk about wine. I'll just preview some of the things we might be having a chat about. Uh, the first thing we're going to have a chat about really is just the fact that, well, Duncan's a winemaker, obviously, and uh, his biz is turning grape juice into glorious alcohol, and we're going to find out a little bit about what's been resting in the tank at, uh, well, not so much the vineyard, but the winery, I think, and uh, and how that's all going. And I think Carl's just worked his magic, which is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Duncan Buchanan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. How are you, Cam? Oh, well, that's great. We're in sync now. 
this is weird. Yeah, they, okay, don't explain this. I'm not going to go through good radio to explain yeah. what we just went through, right. but lo and so, behold, we are talking. So that there I was. I was paddling, you know, desperately paddling, treading water, going, uh, Duncan, <laughs> you make wine, you've turned grape juice into alcohol and uh, people around uh, the place go, hallelujah, that you have. How are those wines looking from the 2021 vintage? Good, in a word, yes. and great in some cases. Really, really. Yeah, it's been, it's been kind of rewarding. Like, you know, we don't want to bash on about it, but there has been that slight... Um, I oh, know definite change in mood about how the the seasons have been perceived. And twenty twenty one, the optimism just keeps coming. But it's an interesting time of the year because generally, when you start having a look at wines, or tasting and smelling, and actually looking at your wines at this time of the year, sometimes they can look a bit disjointed and are just not quite coming together and looking like wine. Yes, and it's I reckon it's a hallmark of good vintages when you taste wines around this stage. And I don't want to sound like a bit too simplistic, but they start to taste like wine. Mm. You know, they're rather, rather well, they're than being not too not too yeah. angular with weird angles and bits sort of hanging off them. Exactly, they just look a bit more complete. And we've got a you know you reverse back, and there's um, March this year, April this year. There were still grapes on the vine, so when they do um, put themselves together a bit better. And I've been around quite a few cellars. I've been in Tassie a bit and all, all over Victoria over the past couple of months, and. Wines are looking good. It's just, it's a, and it's a nice thing. I think it's, yeah, when you've got better fruit coming, they just do come together a lot quicker. And it's just, it's very rewarding because we, you know, we're winemakers. We get, you know, a bit bent out of shape when things don't look as perfect, yeah. <laughs> perfect as they could. And, and you start to panic and let's and face it, little Duncan, arms and run around. And, and what we've yeah. been looking at is, um, we've been looking at the tail end of a La Nina event. Um, so we've been seeing increased rainfall and more, shall we say, benign conditions for, for growing wine. And this is the thing that you've been the beneficiaries of for uh-huh. this vintage. And um, it's like, yeah, it's a bit of a hallelujah moment. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been plenty of water. Not too much warmth, which was good, although, you know, we'll get onto that subject in another Slow day. Slow ripening is what they say is a good thing. Slow exactly, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Great slow ripening in March, yes. not February. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the ones that we like to look at anyway. So, yeah, we have been definitely been the beneficiaries of some decent, um, some decent weather, a bit of rainfall, some nice sort of you know fairly mm. mellow temperatures. So it, it's all come together well, and people are now we're flat out with all that winter stuff that we need to do. Cam, you don't do anything over winter, though, do you? You just sit around just whittling sticks. Yes, we have this punch on on an annual basis. Oh, i got to be like, provocative. Oh, I just love it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> next, next year you'll start swagging up Riesling. <laughs> I am. I'll, I'll save that for later. Um, but, um, no, it's it's just actually it's just me being lazy and just sort of it's a good way to just sort of stick a put a stick into the cage and rattle it around and know that I'll get a bit of a rise from you by saying... Yeah, you don't do anything other than have to look after all the vines, make sure that the wine's looking okay. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of vineyard maintenance that goes on this time of year, isn't there? Yeah, the, the fair majority of it is called pruning, and there's been a, there's a lot of... Uh, you, know, you just, just, they just, say just, just keep counting them. those fingers eh, while you're doing it. <laughs> have you? Has anybody ever lost a finger while you've been pruning? Just out of curiosity. No, not a complete because, finger. Because you have yeah. automatic pruners, which are terrifying. 
Yeah, but the pneumatic ones, not so much anymore. They were death traps. I don't know how you didn't lose an arm of those things back in the day, but you've got um, some pretty sophisticated uh, electronic ones now. Yes. If they they come in contact with their finger, they just shut down. They sort of create a bit of a circuit through your body. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great idea. a great idea, but yeah. the better idea is just don't put your other hand. I prune with one hand in my pocket because you just, you know, you don't put your hand near the place. It'll cut it off. Oh, good idea. You know? Good idea. But, yet, but what if you fall you, over? You don't have a good sense of balance. You've got your, your hand <laughs> in your pocket. Hey, Barry, get all, up. <laughs> we're not always that drunk, Cameron. Oh, good. Okay. All right. So you're not having 11s <laughs> at the vineyard. <laughs> No, not, oh, not today. Yeah, okay, well, um, I never knew that. So there are things that actually detect organic um, fingery yeah. type thing and it shuts down. It's sort of like um, the NRA in America have gun locks that, or, you know, they you can't fire the gun unless you're the owner <laughs> type thing. Bad analogy, let's come back to wine. Sorry. Yeah, it's good Bad idea. Bad tension. Good yeah, good on you. But, but they, but, but they reckon the uh, they reckon like people who sell these things claim that you could put your finger in the blade, pull the trigger, and it won't cut it, it won't go over your hand. Do but I have any volunteers? Yes. <laughs> no. No. At the electrician convention, when they say these safety switches are so good, you can stuff a knife in a power socket and not feel a thing. Now, Do we have any volunteers? Come forward, no, little getting... Johnny. Yeah, you're kidding. You're out of your mind. Okay, <laughs> so. So there's pruning that's going on. So we've got to get yep. the we've got to get the things in shape so that the the sugars and the and the life force is going into the right amount of limbs. That's yep. sort of basically it. Um, it's, just, it's moderating it. It's moderating it. You're kind of looking at moderating your crop level for next year now yeah. and setting up your canopies for next year now. So people and I always say we start and finish with the two worst jobs in the industry. We start with pruning, which is a phenomenal pain in the ass, mm. and we finish with bottling, which is a phenomenal pain in the ass. Really? But the two of the most. Oh, Boring, boring. Have you seen the start of Laverne and Shirley? Yeah. They give us any chance, we'll take it. And there's that bottling one, I think. That's what it looks like. It's a um, schlotz beer. It's dull. Yes. It, is, it is so important to get right because if there's one, if there's something wrong with one bottle, there's something wrong with all of them. Yeah. You know, um, that'd be a bad thunk to get. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Yeah. Can you imagine that? You know, and so, and, but they're very repetitive. And um, kind of mind-numbing activities, but you've got to get them 100 percent right because with yeah. one of them you're setting up your entire, you're starting to set up your entire season, and you don't want to fall behind early because it's so much harder to play catch up. Mm. But um, serious question with, here, Duncan. Se- uh, quite serious, um, yeah. and we we weren't really going to go near this, but we we're looking now that we we've left that La Nina event and uh, mm. we're going into normal really, really hot summers. So I would imagine for a lot of the things you're going to set up, the, the canopy is there to protect the fruit, isn't it? And also to allow air to circulate through uh, photosynthesis, protect the fruit and yeah. grow. So you're going to be doing that differently now that we're going into a different style of year? Absolutely, and, we'll, that's a, and that's, yeah, it's a really good call because what we do, the vineyard where I get my Pinot from, it, it faces north and a tiny bit west. Yeah. That, gets a fair, that gets a fair bit of sun. Now, if I had the money to put in a vineyard of my own, which I promise you I do not, yeah. I'd be looking at an elevated and possibly possibly east-facing slope so you get the morning sun yeah. and you don't get so much in the afternoon. You don't get the Bernie stuff. You don't get the Bernie stuff in the late afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And get less of it. So what I'll... But because I get a little bit of west on my vineyard, 
Mm. I'll probably leave a lot more fruit, a lot more leaf around that fruit zone to try and protect it a bit so we don't get that sunburn. But the other side of it is, uh, you know, the, one of the best disinfectants you can have is sunlight. So if you're looking at some sort of disease pressure, mm. you can open up your canopy a bit and just sort of t- strip away those leaves and your fruit will, they just, a lot of those moulds and mildews that we look at are, um, are combated pretty well by just a bit of sunlight. So you're not yeah. relying as heavily on sprays, you know. But it is, it's, it's a very much an intellectual process and it changes with different um, uh, terroir and aspects. You guys, yeah, mm. to use the French word. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, you, it's... Um, there's a lot of intellectualization that goes in that, isn't it? It's sort of art and intellectualization. Yeah, and you see, um, I mean, you see the people that do it well, or yeah. the ones that I perceive that do it well, they'll be sitting on on both sides. Of it. They'll be viticulture and winemaking. So they they kind of don't separate the two. Matty, um, Matty Harrop was a good example of that, I reckon. Matt, yeah, cracking Matt, example. And when he used to be, at, is he still at Shadowfax? No, he's a Kelly. So I caught up with him right. the other day. Actually. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah. I remember that was one of the first times that I re- he really said something that made me think about that because where he was, um, that was mm. up around, oh, God, help me, it's where the zoo is, um, but it's these big plains. Werribee. And these big yeah. winds, hot winds come mm, across mm, there, mm. and he had to do his canopy to deal with that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you get people who are a bit more in, a bit more in tune with the... Um, you know, the seasons and the land and all that. Michael Dillon's up when you're talking about the Macedon area. Michael Dillon from Bindi, he's another cracker for that. He spends okay. all of his time in the vineyard, so he doesn't have to spend too much in the winery. And these wines speak for themselves. They're just, they're really, really well put, well thought out and well put together wines. Because he, I think, the, yeah, they're both a bit of culturalist winemakers, which is, a, you know, I think a lot of the smart money's where you're going to be. Yeah, cool. You know, and, um, and talking of that, talking about, you know, winemakers in general, um, we... The industry has come a cropper because the Chinese have just forgot to uh, order our wines because of Xi Jinping saying no, and uh, they've they've fallen by the wayside. And what the interesting thing we saw was this campaign by all these world winemakers go, I'm just putting my hand on my heart and say, we stand with you. We stand with you. Bonjour, we stand with you. Uh, And they have until they haven't. Would you like to discuss that? Yeah, it was interesting. I came across some figures the other day that you know, showing that with with the tariffs that were slapped on our wines, with the tariffs that were slapped on our wines, we ended up with, uh, we went from 40% of the wine to the Chinese import market down to seven. Rivers of gold and, stopped. Yeah. So Paraphrasing. It's hard for us. But, but the other people, the other countries have just gone, cool, we'll, we'll pick up the slack. Like, um, so I thought France, they were there to France, help we're, us. Oh, competitive market, Cam. Yeah. I mean, it's disappointing, but you can't. But you, but, you know, France is all of a sudden their their, their exports to China have gone up by fifty percent. Likewise, Chile. Likewise, Italy. And uh, they've just they've just grabbed it. And you can't blame these people. It's, it is business. It just it's, but it shows how mm. people will just jump on one opportunity when they can. You know. So. And um, they're, they're, and- but one of the ones you were saying, which kind of surprised me, sorry to cut across you because we haven't got a lot of time, yeah. uh, was uh, no. so the French stepped up because, yeah. let's face it, if you want to show off at the dinner party and that's what a lot of this Chinese wine buying was all about, you want France. Mm. But Argentina has been selling... No, a, sorry, I made a mistake. It wasn't Argentina. Chile. Chile, Chile jumped Chile with Chile their Melbourne. Into, yeah, yeah. And a lot of what you'd call European varietals, Cabernets and uh, you know, Malbec and a whole bunch of other stuff, but they mm. just... 
they just pick up. They just picked up a market and run with them. And I don't know if I was in that position, I would do the same thing. You can't be too cranky at them. And, we and can... you've got to remember they've got the they've got the resources there. So yeah, France has got three times the vines that we do. They produce over three times the vines we do. They produce four times as much wine as we do. So there's well, plenty of uh, scope there. And as they say, business is business. As they shrug their shoulders with you. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Just in finally in filling up before we move to still here, which we'll be following after this, uh, what's in your glass this afternoon? Not a great deal. I'm doing dry July starting today, but and I'm suffering the effects of my um, my father-in-law's 80th birthday yesterday last night. So we ate and drank and made merry. So I'm on water for the next month. So on the wagon, but with a hangover. That's uh, <laughs> it's kind of good. Duncan, we'll keep finding out how that wine's going. Always a delight to speak with you. Thank you for yeah, joining us, buddy. Enjoy winter, everyone. Check you guys later. Beautiful. Thank you, Duncan. All right. Well, we're going to leave that. Uh, Carl, thank you. Thanks, Cam. Fiona, thank you. Thank you. There you go. Beautiful. Uh, and thank you, listeners. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 